I will call the meeting to order, the um, April 4th meeting of the Iowa City Climate Action Commission, and we'll do roll call. Um, Michael Einan uh, Lynch. Here. John Frazier. Uh, Stratus, we know, may be coming later. Uh, ben Grimm. Clarity Guerra. Here. Megan Hill. Here. Casey Hutchinson. Here. Matt Krieger. Here. Jesse Leckman. Here. He's online. Uh, Becky Soglin present. And Gabe's uh, stirred event. Present. Would you guys like to identify? <laughs> we know who you are, but for the record. Right. For the record, Sarah Gardner staff. <laughs> Daniel Bissell staff. Jane Welch, staff. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so next is approval of the minutes from our meeting on March 7th, 2022. Uh, Were there any corrections to the minutes? Um, so seeing none, is there a motion to approve the minutes of March 7th? Motion to approve the minutes of March 7th. Second. 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 <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs> I think Michael got in there first. So um, all in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Um, and I think my a reminder, sir, do you, when we first speak, should we say our name? So everyone, yeah. uh, the recorder has a little better chance of knowing who said what. Yeah. And not just the first time, just anytime you speak, you okay. know, um, if you'd say your last name and then move or so second, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Item four is public comment of items not on the agenda. Um, are there any members of the public who would like to speak? If not, I will, might skip our longer paragraph about public comment. But is anyone here from the public? No. All right, we are just whipping through this agenda, which will get more time for all the important stuff. Um, so item five is informational updates. All right, so the one and only action item from the last meeting was um, for the members of the Climate Action Commission to let staff know what your working group preferences were before this meeting. Thank you to um, those of you who wrote in, that was very helpful. And then um, there was a related action item for staff to assign those working groups. Um, and we will be discussing that more under unfinished business later in the meeting. Um, for climate action plan updates, then item 5B, in your agenda packet, you would have all received the summary of new updates to the climate action work plan. Um, there's quite a lot in here. Hopefully you all were able to read through it a little ahead of the meeting. But um, as you'll see, of course, some of these things we knew were coming up, like the neighborhood energy blitz, um, which is well underway um, in terms of being prepared for. Uh, there are some things that have come up since the last meeting. I would call your attention to the net zero house design competition. Um, just recently, we started talking to uh, some representatives from the Home Building Association talking about a possible way, uh, collaboration, sort of piggybacking on a student design competition. You know, one of the things we've been trying to get our arms around with that item 
is what's the most effective way to have a competition given that net zero home designs exist and we're not necessarily uh, architecture experts ourselves and don't want to lean too heavily on Matt. <laughs> um, but one of the things they uh, talked about is how there actually is already an existing student design competition. And we may be able to be involved by helping provide a location on a piece of city owned property and supporting the students to build um, one of the winning designs, which would be quite interesting. So uh, it's very early days in that discussion, but we will keep you up to date as the conversation proceeds. Um, you'll see, I think there, I think that's the big one I wanted to highlight under buildings. Um, oh, I did also wanna mention that our building code inspectors, all of our building code inspectors now have begun the initial training um, for the certification process in energy code inspections. Um, and they attended as a group an Iowa Energy Office seminar to help jumpstart that process. So there's some nice progress being made there. Um, as you know, we've been hosting several speaking of meetings, uh, which Jane has graciously been co-hosting with us. And so under transportation, you'll see that actually we've had a really big and ongoing response to the speaking of one, even though, you know, Zoom fatigue exists. We had 68 participants listen in on that discussion. And um, I know from the emails that Jane and I have been getting after that, that the link to that is getting widely shared. We're getting a lot of great questions about it. Now, if only there were more EVs at the dealerships in the area <laughs> to make good on that. Um, the other thing I wanted to note, there are two other things under transportation in particular I wanted to call your attention to. Um, the first is that city council did just recently pass an ordinance um, to address the increased complaints of cars parked in bike lanes downtown. This is something that's increased pretty dramatically during the pandemic. Understandably so, um, you know, a lot of the culprits seem to be sort of DoorDash folks picking up meals to get out. Um, so the or what the ordinance does is it changes the way those uh, violations are categorized to make them non-moving vehicle violations, which allows our parking staff to then issue tickets um, and not just the police. But of course, we are rolling out an initial awareness campaign ahead of that. There's actually some very cleverly designed windshield markers that'll go out. So people will get warnings before they get ticketed on that. And the hope is that by increasing that awareness and then ticketing a little more frequently, we may be able to move people out of those bike lanes and increase that access. Um, the other thing I wanted to call your attention to in the transportation um, developments is that I wanna actually give just a big pat on the back to Daniel who has been working very closely with our MPO and transit staff um, to produce a zero emissions fleet transition plan for our transit staff. Um, that is now a requirement in order to apply for future no low emissions grants, which you may recall are the grant funds that we use to buy our four electric buses. Um, we, there's a whole lot of money coming down from the feds uh, to help with that, but there's also this new requirement that you have to have a fairly comprehensive plan about what you're gonna do with your whole fleet. So um, I, our staff has been working very efficiently to try to get something pulled together, um, listening into webinars uh, on guidance on how to do that, and then collaborating and pulling pieces from our climate action plan. This is where we're really aided from having an existing plan. So we hope to have that together so that we can then apply for the grant opportunities that will come available in May. Um, and we also have begun discussing ways that we could use that transit emission plan or fleet. Ooh, so many words. <laughs> 
fleet transition plan for transit um, piggyback off of it to create something larger for the city as a whole. Um, one of the things that we've recently learned is the police department is very interested in transitioning their entire fleet to an electric fleet. So if we can start getting departments talking together, I think we'll be better able to address those needs. Quick question on that. Yes. Is there a way to also share the wealth and share that knowledge uh, examples with uh, businesses locally too? So for instance, does, would it apply for them to understand what it looks like to have an electric fleet, vehicle fleet? I imagine there would be, I mean, it, we, I think we need to see what the plan looks like, but I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. <laughs> well, I mean, I say this as somebody who does not mind reading government reports. <laughs> um, I think maybe what might be more effective as I'm saying this, you know, off the cuff is to create like a summary report that we could share with businesses to show. One of the big arguments for creating a transition plan incidentally, well, there are two main ones. Um, and this is something we've been discussing quite a lot in our office in the last few months. Um, one is that those plans effectively incorporate infrastructure concerns into the plan. So, you know, it's not enough to just go out and buy these vehicles. You also need to be thinking ahead to what the infrastructure needs are. And if you can address infrastructure, if you can group it together, so you're building out conduit for the next 10 years when you're building for the first two years, there are it's cheaper in the long run than doing that piecemeal, you know, every two years or so going back and trying to add on to it. So it gives you a more straightforward approach to that. But it also identifies upcoming opportunities for fleet managers that they may not be aware of um, so that we can be thinking instead of doing a, you know, whenever we need to replace a vehicle, looking around and saying, is there an electric vehicle available for this? Guess not. Oh, well, and then passing on it. You know, if we can be looking ahead and saying, this is what looks like it's going to be on the market in the next year, this is what's going to be on the market in the next five years, then you can begin planning your retirements around that so that you can more effectively capture those opportunities. So um, yeah, great question. Okay. As usual, I talked way too much about it. <laughs> All right, then for uh, under waste, the big one I wanna call your attention to there is um, that we are getting ready to launch as a, a food waste reduction campaign that's being done in collaboration with Table to Table. Is that correct, Jane? Um, launching April 27th. One of the great things you may not know about Jane is she has the most amazing calendar in her head of every climate-related holiday that comes up every year. And so is able to time this. And she's gonna be speaking to us later about um, some uh, outreach we've been doing with restaurants. But if you have questions about the food waste reduction initiative. I'm sure she would be willing to talk about that as well. And then for climate adaptation, I'm quite happy to report that our fourth cohort of climate ambassadors completed their training two weeks ago. Very exciting. Some of them have already signed up to participate in the Energy Blitz, which is great. Um, and we look forward to bringing in our engagement specialists then to take up that program and think about how we can expand it or tweak it in the future. Um, and then we did get a nice tree planting update in particular that I thought would be of interest to you. Um, the city has entered into a contract to have 750 trees planted during the spring and summer of this year. Most of those trees are going to be going in in the South District neighborhood. 
Um, and most of those in the South District neighborhood are going to be planted um, along Langenberg Avenue and Russell Drive. So one thing I'd encourage you to do if you haven't already um, when you get home is just go to Google Maps and look up those two streets, scroll in, and you'll see like the complete lack of trees along those streets and how getting these street trees planted is going to transform um, those sections of that neighborhood. So it's a wonderful, wonderful equity win for us on that level. And then in terms of sustainable lifestyle, our AmeriCorps team just this last weekend hosted an Earth Expo that featured a no number of local sustainability-focused organizations. Um, boy, we're so lucky to have Jane with us today. She also attended that event on Sunday and reports, I've heard from her and from the AmeriCorps team that it went quite well, that they had uh, just the steady stream of people coming through Terry Trubel Blood Lodge at about the right rate you want to have meaningful conversations with the folks there. So um, I think over 100 attendees was the estimate I heard, which is really nice um, and a nice way to kick off Earth Month for us. And then also Jane will be here talking a little um, later in the meeting about the Beyond Plastic Initiative, um, which is that restaurant-focused initiative that we've been talking about. So I will leave that to her to talk about. Um, and then one thing of note uh, as well that I was excited to hear about, um, you know, we did in the previous month talk about Chattic Green improvements. We've gotten a few more details on that. Um, they are going to be paving that parking lot, putting in a restroom and adding raised beds next to the area near the parking lot to increase accessible gardening opportunities for folks who may not have had and way into those garden paths before. Um, they're also going to be paving sections of the garden plots themselves. Um, there has there have been some issues in past years with the pathways getting overgrown over the course of the summer. So the idea is that by paving some of the main pathways within the garden plots, some of our residents who, who may still be able to get into the garden plots, but may have struggled to navigate all the weeds will have an easier time getting to their garden plots as well. Um, and they're also putting spigots into both of the garden areas so that you won't have to leave the garden, go to a spigot to fill up your water bucket and then haul it back to the garden plot. It'll be closer, which will reduce um, some of the labor intensive water carrying that's gone on at Chattic Green. So some very exciting things going on there. Unfortunately, construction season happens to dovetail nicely with uh, garden season. So um, some of those plots will be affected by the construction activity of laying the water pipe and putting in the paved pathways. Um, but our parks and recreation staff have been really proactive about this, reaching out to uh, folks who were having plots that would be near there and have helped them move into other plots for the season so that they can garden all season long without being disrupted by the construction activity. And I believe there's some discussion right now about um, those plots, filling them in with pollinator friendly flower species for the season, um, and then reopening them for gardening use uh, next season once the concrete has settled. So those are the big highlights. Obviously, there are many more on the list. Um, I want to take a moment to pause and see if there are any that jumped out at you that you'd like to have questions answered about um, or things that you'd like to hear about in more detail. Um, and for our transcriber, we'll note that Stratus has joined the meeting. I'm sure that this is something that's always already been thought of, but when trees go in, um, I believe there's already a bit of an outreach effort about 
caring for those trees. Um, can you remind me what that process is? Um, yes. Yeah, so for the Root for Trees program, um, when someone gets a voucher, they're given information about basic tree care. And in fact, our AmeriCorps team has been talking about developing complementary programming to help care for those trees. The 750 that will be going in in the South District neighborhood are street trees, which means they're owned by the city and is part of the contract to plant them because maintenance has been an ongoing issue. Um, that contract comes with a three-year maintenance plan. So the companies that, that's putting in the trees will help care for them. That is so cool. Yeah. Awesome. Any other questions? I had one about the... Um parking regulations and you've mentioned that they're going to be doing the oops windshield reminder which is great um can can you also verify that they'll be doing that into the evening that because i don't know when the parking folks exactly work so that anyone parking there later at night doesn't get a ticket without first having been warned just out of fairness I guess. so the question is are we going to be issuing warnings to folks in the evening as well as during the day yeah okay. yes i believe so okay I, um, I think the plan is for the initial rollout, instead of ticketing anyone, they're just going to begin with warnings, no matter what the time of day is. And then eventually those warnings will give way to tickets. Should have noted that was Sogland speaking. Actually, um, <laughs> I'll let Danny field a bit more on this question because you know he worked with the parking staff and so has a bit more detailed knowledge. So uh, to your point about um, evening enforcement, um, parking enforcement through the Transportation Services Department runs until 6 p.m. After that, the police department takes over. But the police department will also have those windshield warnings to hand out, I believe. We can confirm that. They're very cute. It almost makes you want to park in the lane just to get one. <laughs> Sarah is entirely joking, right? How <laughs> that works. Bicycles are never on oops. We should have little cars that say oops. <laughs> that is sarcasm. <laughs> Any other questions we can answer? I want to be sure to give you a moment to read since I know there's a lot there. I, just, I did have a question about one that was not updated. Okay. I'm just wondering about the um, the uh, health impacts one. That's an adaptation. There had been a note on there about um, engaging Johnson County Public Health. And like it was supposed to be, I think, February. I just wondered if there was kind of things in the works in the background that not ready to report on yet, but just wonder if that's starting to move. Yeah, no, that one that one's a, hurts a little. Um, we actually had uh, been partnering with... You may remember last year, we pursued a carbon sequestration project in collaboration with Lincoln, Nebraska, Columbia, Missouri, and Boulder, Colorado. Mm. Um, as a result of that activity, we were invited to collaborate again and apply to the National 
Oceanic Atmospheric and Atmospheric Administration to apply for a heat mapping grant. And so we had been working closely with our public health folks. We were very excited about this opportunity. Um, it would have involved, long story short, we didn't get the grant. Um, but it would have involved uh, recruiting community members to help us deploy sensors throughout the city on a one day sort of, if you've ever been involved with a bio blitz, it was sort of a similar setup where it's a one day intensive data gathering exercise. Um, and the main thrust of that, we do have some pretty good heat island data for the city, but the idea of course was to get everyday folks involved in gathering it because of course that amplifies the messaging, right? And so we had been working with Johnson County Public Health um, who very graciously off, uh, wrote an endorsement uh, of the project and was going to work with us helping identify um, routes that we might follow. Uh, Daniel had a great idea to follow transit routes because of course we're thinking ahead to high heat days and you know where are the places where we might wanna be thinking about increased bus shelters, for example, or making sure that um, people who are the most vulnerable getting to and from work have you know the resources to keep cool. We did not get the grant this year. Um, we're in the process of getting some feedback about how we might apply again for it in the future. So that was sort of our big collaboration for the year. And because we didn't get the grant, we're having to regroup a little and think about what we're gonna do. But just recently related to the Teen Resilience Corps, um, we have reached out to Sam at the public health. That's right, Becky, right? Sam. Yeah, and actually, I was going to tell, yeah. tell you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to reach out to you if he, you had any oh, great. up to him. <laughs> um, they have some kits that they handed out uh, in collaboration with ASTIG Planning's uh, resilience activities last year. And so um, there's a possibility that we may be able to incorporate those kits into the teen resilience core activity this summer. So a bit of a disappointment on that front and we can't win them all, but I think um, the conversations we had surrounding it were very helpful in sort of increasing those channels of communication. And we are continue to look for ways that we can collaborate in the future. Thanks. I don't think I speak out of turn to say, so I had a conversation with Sam as part of my job on Friday, I think it was. And he was, is probably gonna reach out to you again, Sarah, because they're looking at a potential survey and I made, reminded him about the, that your teen activity. So, I, and I may be in on the discussion with both of you if you have that, so, um, so a heads up. Great, we'll look forward to it. All right, then um, I'll just say if any other questions do come up as you're reading through the material, of course, you have our email address. Please always feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to provide more detail whenever possible. Um, and then the next item in 5C, upcoming events, um, our next, <laughs> next event I want to know, it says speaking of electric vehicles, we already held that. <laughs> So the speaking of event on April 11th is going to be about reasons for hope. Um, and so we're using it to highlight the ongoing work that's been done with Project 51 over the last year and just talk about hope as an important resilience tool. Um, the electric bus celebration, I do want to call your attention to that. We had an incorrect date on it. There were two dates that got bandied around um, for it and we we picked the wrong one to put in the memo. So that event is actually happening April 22nd 
not April 27th. It's going to be happening from two to four down at Riverfront Crossings, and it's a great opportunity to attend if any of you are free at that time, particularly those of you who work in the county building and might be able to walk across the street. Um, and then the Neighborhood Energy Blitz, uh, as you know, is going to be taking place the very next day, April 23rd. We've started our push to get volunteers signed up, and we've been getting a, a fairly steady stream. We'd like to see some more robust volunteer signups. So I actually have two asks for uh, everybody in the Climate Action Commission. After this meeting, um, we will be sending a follow-up follow email with, to all of you containing the press release that went out today calling for volunteers. If you are available to participate on in Saturday, we would greatly value your participation in that event, and we believe you'd have a good time doing so. But also, um, we know that you are closely connected with many other members in the community who may see value in participating in this event as well. And so our second ask um, is that you would forward that press release on to um, individuals or even more importantly, organizations that may help us promote volunteer signup. That would be a huge help to us. We'll have more upcoming events to report on next month. Questions for Sarah about these events? I'm sure the weather will be great on the 23rd the blitzing. Um, so item six is unfinished business, the project-based working group formation. Okay. Um, Casey, next to you, we have a stack of handouts. If you wouldn't mind grabbing those and passing them around. I wanted to bring a draft today of the assignments just in case there are any adjustments we want to make. And then I'll include the finalized version in the agenda packet next month. Um, as I said at the beginning of the meeting, thank you very much to those of you who indicated which working groups you'd like to participate in. Um, Stratus, Jesse, and Ben, I took my best guess based on uh, your skill sets as I know them and where your interests lie and put you into working groups. If you would like to trade amongst yourselves, that is totally fine. Just let me know. Um, and I did want to note then in the draft working groups, um, you'll see that there are three of them ultimately that got assigned. You may recall from our last meeting that we had identified four potential working groups. Um, nobody signed up for the Rent Lab app evaluation. And so we had some discussions about it internally. And then um, I had actually a very helpful discussion for me with Michael. So thank you to Michael, our in-house software expert, <laughs> um, about just the sort of lack of enthusiasm for that particular app. And if there's not a lot of enthusiasm among Climate Action Commission members, it seems to be indicative that there may not be a lot of interest in it community-wide. Um, and as you know, with apps like this, if you don't get a whole lot of people signed up right away, the app itself is of very little value to the people who do sign up. Um, so based on that, we thought the best thing to do is probably just table pursuing that idea for another year. And you know, who knows what'll change a year from now, but um, for us, I know it sounds funny to say thank you, no one for signing up, but uh, that was really useful temperature taking for us to figure out what to do on that front. 
And so what we've done then is we just divided you among the remaining working groups. We also moved the insulation grant program up so that that one, originally the rent lab app was going to be the one we would take a look at in June through August, but now we've moved insulation up. Um, we think that's a nice opportunity as well to talk a little about insulation in a season when people aren't particularly interested in it. So if there are good ideas that bubble up, we'll be ready to run with them in the fall instead of having to wait another season to make good on it. Um, those of you who then were assigned to the solar project prioritization, so Gabe, Becky, Matt, and Stratus, if you wouldn't mind staying after the conclusion of the meeting, um, we can talk about setting the first meeting date uh, for later this month to get that project started. I want to pause here and just ask if there are any questions on the working groups before we move to the second half of this. I think for the most part, we were able to put most all of you on your first choice. So that was good. All right. So then the second half of this comes down or is, as you'll recall, the uh, outreach to community-based organizations and the administrative committee assignments. And there too, um, we had two folks sign up for the grant committee. Daniel's already been in touch with you about getting that started because we need to have those evaluated fairly quickly. And then um, two folks signed up for the Film Fest committee. We'll be in touch later this summer, Gabe and Casey to follow up on that. That'll be fun. And then we didn't have anybody sign up for the Climate Action at Work Awards Committee. And there too, you know, that's a program that, if I'm honest, has struggled a little in the last couple of years. And given the lack of enthusiasm in our group for it, I think may be indicative of sort of a larger trend within the community as a whole. So what we decided to do was not assign anyone to that committee. Um, we've been having some discussions internally about ways we might retool that program. And so um, if we end up retooling it, or if we end up feeling like we need a committee, we'll come back and ask if there are two folks who'd like to volunteer. But for the meantime, we're not gonna worry about it. We'll take that back in on as staff and see where we can go with it. And then for the community-based organizations, I will say I was a little surprised that we didn't get more folks signing up to reach out to the CBOs. Um, I just wanna make a little heartfelt plea on <laughs> purely for, for myself to say that um, I do believe reaching out to these organizations is at the very heart of what is important about the Climate Action Commission. You know, that um, we really rely on you to help us get the message out um, to areas of the community that it just would hard, be hard to reach based on staff activity alone. Um, and so one of the things I wanna make sure we do is uh, ensure that everybody is comfortable or feels confident reaching out to these CBOs. And I wanted to just have a little discussion today about what kinds of tools can we provide you as you're thinking about going out to these groups that would be helpful? Would you like us, for example, to prepare a slide deck that you could customize for a presentation? Would you like to have a flyer printed up that you could take with you? Would you like to have um, a staff member go along, anything like that. I want to just sort of open the floor to ask for those kinds of suggestions or ones that you may think of as you're on your own so that we can help prep you for those conversations. I think some kind of flyer, especially with upcoming events, um, could be really helpful as well as if there's particular programs 
um, that you think it would be particularly beneficial for us to be telling people about programs that you notice a lot of people in the community aren't aware of that would be beneficial or yeah, helping to frame the messages that you're trying to get out. I'd just like to piggyback on what Michael said at the second part, especially of if we're somewhat consistent and maybe every three or four months, you kind of update our spiel, mm -hmm. the, the basics, and then we can then on our own kind of tailor it mm -hmm. um, to the group. I think for now, like I personally wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to do a PowerPoint. I don't know what you were thinking of that just because there's a lot of PowerPoints already. In the <laughs> um, uh, another thought I had, Gara, um, was to invite some conversation about what climate action, what comes to mind for them when they think of climate action. Cause I know we're coming to it from a framework that we're very, um, kind of like trained in. And, um, I know that some, not all of them, but some of the communities that we'd be reaching out to are, you know, heavier users of public transportation. And so to also have it be an exchange where we're listening to felt like a, um, a good way to come to that experience, not just like, you know, disseminating. Mm -hmm. That that was kind of my thought too, is going to them saying, hey, what information would you like from us? Like in, in the initial outreach saying, hey, can we meet? What would you like to know? And then kind of tailor it from there. But I think also having a, like a general flyer or something to go to these groups with saying, hey, here's the basics, then get into more details about what they would like to know. I mean, what they could use. Basically, you could share the website links or, you know, if it's if it's applicable to that group from an equity standpoint, we may need to have something on hand to share mm -hmm. during the, the conversation. But it seems like you would want to be able to get something to them up, up, and, uh, before, prior to the meeting, right? Prior to right, the actual... right. I'm saying more like sending us a list of... Right that and then we could get you know go and say hey here's this website link here's this website link yeah. would it be helpful at all before you meet with the groups to have a meeting with staff like where we could sit down with you individually and just talk about what the plan is for that group or do you feel i, I don't want to imply that you wouldn't be capable of going in and doing it on your own because I 100% believe every person in this room is able to have those conversations effectively. But um, if it'd be helpful to have a bit of a conversation and get those updates before you roll in, certainly we're, we're quite happy to do that. Seems appropriate because I think each group has had a different level of engagement to date, right? Like I, the Home Builders Association, I think has had a lot of interaction and engagement, whereas one of the other groups may not are we provided like a point of contact for these groups or is it just like reaching out saying, Hey, who do we talk to? Yeah, no, we don't want to, we don't want to <laughs> throw you overboard and be like, have fun. Um, we will provide you with the contact that we've been interfacing with. Um, and we can give you a little history on what that interaction has been like. We keep a little spreadsheet ourselves on it so we can share that information in the pre-meeting meeting. I may be able to take a, this is Becky, I may be able to take a second one on, but I, I wouldn't be able to do it till the fall. So I think for some of, you know, so, some of these, we can in a sense get to them, but as, if that's yeah. part of the issue. And um, 
I I had intended to. I just uh, left for two weeks and forgot about this. So I'm, I'll sign up for one. That'd be great. Thanks. Like, I'll send you an email. I've got a couple. I'll put a couple down in case someone else signs up in the interim. I'll do either. Um, yeah, and that's something else I can suggest. I know, Becky, both you and John indicated um, you might be interested in meeting with the Refugee and Immigrant Association. And it occurs to me that that would be a group to actually, it would be great to have two people go together to talk to or work together to talk to. So that's a possibility as well. You know, if um, there's a group you're interested in and maybe, you know, someone else is interested in, if you want to go together, we're certainly open to that as well. I think I remember reading in the original um, document that part of it is just to do outreach in terms of recruitment too, because there's the climate ambassador program and this commission um, that are opportunities to, for people who are engaged and interested to serve. And um, that sounded like another com important component of the interaction. Yes, absolutely. And then coming back to the meeting and just sharing with the group as a whole how that conversation went and what kinds of things they discussed in their group that um, we can be, I mean, not climate related, just generally what's front of mind for that group so that we can be thinking as opportunities develop like, oh, this group is interested in this. Let's get them some more information. Yeah. So point of clarification in terms of our letting folks know like they can apply, um, I guess two two issues. One, when those applications are available generally in October, because most of our terms end December. Right. So, so that timing and I have a second follow-up question to that. I mean, ideally what we want to be doing is building these channels of communication with the group so that maybe you don't talk about recruiting your replacement at the initial meeting, right? Um, you just have the com regular conversation. This is what I've been doing and we've been doing with the Climate Action Commission. We're interested in hearing what sorts of things you're talking about. And then as your term comes up, um, reaching back out and saying, hey, by the way, I just wanted to touch in. You might remember a conversation a few months back my term is getting ready to end, or we have some openings that are coming up in the commission. It'd be great if members of your organization who are interested in these issues might want to apply. And I'd be happy to talk to anybody who is and tell you what's been involved with for me as a commission member, you know, that it's an hour and a half a month and you get to hang out with cool people. <laughs> Related to that. So are we term limited? I wasn't quite clear because we have had some members I mean, the commission kind of shifted. It was one thing first and then another. Yeah. I don't know. It's not, I don't ask kind of glance in our bylaws whether we have something about that or whether, because what if somebody wants to have another term? Because right. well, three years is sort of long on the one hand. On the other hand, sometimes it takes the first year just to get going. Um, what, what's, I need to double check on this, but I believe in the bylaws, you can serve two consecutive terms. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that's just for another time to make sure we're clear on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be perfectly clear. We're not trying to shove anybody out the door and be like, you need to find someone to show up in your place. Right? Like we are very happy to have you as long as you are happy to serve. Um, but if we think ahead to the future of the commission and particularly some of our goals about diversifying representation around the table, that takes time. And so we need to be building toward that now for when those openings come up in the years ahead. And you're right. It's in there with a you can have two, three-year terms. Um, and I assume there's an adjustment for somebody if they have stepped in and they're only filling a partial term. The Teddy Roosevelt clause. Okay, great. 
I mean, I will say when we first launched the climate action plan, the original, just the, the main plan, you know, we kind of test ran way of doing this, which was meeting with Oatmeal, um, just having an open forum um, presentation. And we did do a PowerPoint at that because we were, it was just sort of initially getting out into the community. And then we spent the second half of it just having a conversation about, you know, what are the barriers that you see? What are the opportunities that we should be thinking about? You know, as we work towards implementation of the plan, um, now that we're much farther along and there's lots of things going on, there's lots of things to talk about too. So it is, I think, good to, if we just have sort of a level setting basis of understanding, like here are the five areas, we're doing a whole bunch of different kind of unique things, but you know, yeah, what are the, you know, where, what do you think is most important to you, your organization and, and then barriers and opportunities again, it'd be good to understand that we can bring that back. You know, it occurs to me too, one possibility rather than reinvent the wheel and try to come up with a separate flyer is we could be printing out copies of our annual report and just taking that along, which shows the kind of progress that's being made in the city and some of the um, projects that have succeeded so far. I think when you look at the annual report, it does a nice job of talking about like where the priorities are and what the projects have been for the last year. I'll, um, I'll, I know that was in our December meeting packet. I'll make a note to myself to include it in the May packet as well so that we could take a look at it and see if we think that might be adequate for these needs or if we want to tweak it in some ways to for these purposes. Yeah, I'd hate to overwhelm anyone. Just sort of an at-a-glance thing might be good. <laughs> and we could always have the summary that you give us each packet, the highlights, if we need to reference anything that's most recently happened. So... I guess it sounds like a good idea to use some of what you've already created. All right, then to recap, it sounds like what we're talking about is some sort of print material, whether that's the flyer or the annual report to bring along if you're attending an in-person meeting, uh, contact information and a bit of history about our interactions with the group so far and uh, setting up a pre-meeting with staff. And I'll just say, if some of you have signed up for these groups and you're raring to go, you really wanna reach out in the next month or so, um, feel free to just reach out to us directly and say, you're ready to go. You'd like to have that conversation and we'll get it scheduled. Is there anything I'm leaving off that list? Well, hopefully you feel inspired. <laughs> and if anybody would like to sign up for a second group, or even after you reach out to your first one, you're like, that went great. I'd love to do another. Um, do be in touch. We're happy to, it, we need all the help we can get. So it's great. Um, we'll move on to item seven then, which is new business. And that's beyond plastic. I'm not quite sure how to say the IC part. Last I see. All right. <laughs> with Jane Wilch. So this is an informational update. I'm sure. Or you can swap with me if you'd like. Well, for those of you who don't know her already, this is Jane Wilch, our amazing, amazing recycling coordinator here in Iowa City, who really has been um, leading the charge with this with this initiative. Hello everyone, I'm Jane Wilch, as Sarah said. 
two amazings was too much. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you everybody for having me. What we're talking about today is our new non-recyclable plastics working group. That's a very long name. So the public facing name of that will be beyond plastic with the IC really emphasized to represent Iowa city. Uh, and so what, what we've done so far in this group, I'm going to give you all some highlights, uh, also just some background as to why we have this group. So, uh, as we all know, plastics are major climate environmental waste issue. Uh, and a few years ago, this was especially with, you know, the pandemic and, uh, a big shift to delivery and takeout and disposable products, just from a public health standpoint, reducing contact points, social distancing, et cetera. So when all of that occurred, we had a big increase in the amount of clamshell use. So if we think of like takeout containers, uh, also just other types of disposable plastic. So with that big influx in the use of those types of products, we recognized that this was a big issue. We needed to come up with some solutions, not necessarily looking at how do we make these items recyclable, uh, because if you ever hear Sarah and I talk about this, that's not the solution. The solution is we need to stop using this material and come up with alternative materials to use. Uh, and there are better alternatives. There are other options. So really we formed this group with that mission figure out what solutions are out there and what we can do on a local Iowa City community basis. So what we've done so far, uh, really starting this group, the first priority we had was understanding the situation. So number one, with community members, and number two, especially with businesses, local restaurants, convenience stores, coffee shops, anywhere that is especially interacting with food uh, in a delivery, takeout, grab-and-go kind of uh, manner. So that could also be grocery stores for that manner too. Uh, so really trying to gather the research, understand the situation, understand community member preferences. What we started with that was the community member takeout meal container survey, which I believe Sarah included in the packet. That one is completed at this point. Uh, so I do have the results in front of me. And in general, we've not shared this with the public yet. So uh, we've, we've not put that final, you know, the pie charts and the statistics and percentages out there. What I can tell you though, in terms of some major results, uh, we did look at, as you all know, we looked at a few different types of materials and asking community members, what uh, is your preference? What do you like your food to come in? Is it paper, cardboard, compostable? Is it the hard plastic clamshell, styrofoam, or metal trays? Those are usually the four big categories. So we asked, what do you prefer, right? Styrofoam is definitely uh, not popular in our community, which is great. That's what we want to hear, right? That's, that's a preference that we want because that's a material that's not sustainable. We want to move away from that. So that definitely shows in community member preference, which is great. The most popular by far was paper cardboard clamshell, which I'm sure is not that surprising. Um, the hard plastic clamshell was kind of in the middle. A lot of people not liking it or not really having an opinion. Some people liking it. Um, metal trays were also somewhat in the middle. But again, the most popular was paper. The least popular was styrofoam. We also looked at preferences on, you know, are you more or less likely to be a customer at a restaurant if they offer sustainable materials or not? Um, in general, the question of are you more likely if they're offering sustainable containers was very well received. So a high majority said, yes, I am more likely. Um, it shifts, it, it gets interesting with that other question of are you less likely? It's kind of a split again. 
see if there's anything else that I want to mention from this. We also, within this survey, asked about access to recycling and composting programs. So, you know, as we're looking at these different options of materials, if we were to shift towards offering incentives and programs for paper and cardboard clamshell type of material, uh, we have to make sure that there's programs in place that can properly handle that uh, to get the best use out of it. Meaning if it's a compostable container, we don't want it ending up in a trash can. So making sure those facilities are in place. The majority of the survey takers uh, have access to composting. A good majority, about 70%, have access to composting. And again, the survey takers, this is about 1,400 different uh, individuals taking this survey, so a very good sample size. We also asked about some uh, other routes here. So this is again, looking at our working group, not quite knowing what the perfect solution is yet. Again, trying to gather the data, gather the information. So we threw out a lot of possibilities in this survey. One of which being, would you be willing to pay a small fee to get a more sustainable takeout container? Um, another one being, would you be interested in washable reusable containers? Um, also, are you interested in bringing your own container and just, you know, packaging up your food at the table? So all these different angles, um, and really, I think overall, a good response in terms of support for a fee, kind of mixed results for a washable reusable system. Obviously, this survey came out last year, right in the middle of the pandemic. So I think that's understandable why we had a result like that. Um, but it does seem like there is definitely support for programs like this. Um, again, the community member survey was really to understand from a consumer perspective, where are we at with things? So this is closed. The next survey that we have coming out, and I have just the draft here, if anybody wants to look at it, I can pass that around. Uh, but we've got our business input survey. So this is almost, almost finalized. We're working through just a few draft questions that we may be adding to it. And then we're ready to send this out to our restaurant contacts. Um, but this is really meant to be... Uh, a partnership with restaurants. You know, we are not at all saying that anybody's doing anything wrong. It has been a really tough two years. Uh, and I think businesses have done a great job through the pandemic. It's been a tough time. So we want to emphasize that this is a partnership where we, we want to support our local businesses and learn more. Where are you at? What are you currently using for materials, whether it's takeout containers, to go cups, plastic bags, plastic straws, kind of the whole realm of what are we concerned of with plastics right now, learning what they're using and how we can help. What are the barriers to using more sustainable materials? Um, would you be interested in partnering on a pilot program or other programs offered as a partnership with the city? Again, gauging that temperature with local businesses. So that's going to be sent. We're hopefully, I'm, I'm aiming for next week to send that out to restaurants. So gathering that data, a few other things. Uh, we have before the pandemic and a little bit as we've entered the pandemic, looked into that option of reusable, washable containers where it's kind of like a deposit program. You get one at a restaurant and you return it and you're, you're kind of bought into that system, right? Uh, we have looked into that. Obviously, the, the pandemic has made that very difficult to implement a system like that. Um, we have checked with Johnson County Public Health and it is feasible. Uh, within a few parameters, it is a system that we could feasibly implement within Iowa City, which is great news. So at some point, maybe uh, moving towards a system like that uh, 
uh, we were looking into that as a possibility. And then of course, looking into also, you know, the economical and financial end of this with, with businesses. Uh, there's a bottom line, as we know, and sometimes they may be purchasing a certain material because it's the most inexpensive. Uh, so another angle that we're looking at is pricing guides and figuring out, well, the calculations of compostable compostable paper versus the hard plastic versus the styrofoam, what's most realistic? And also, is there a place that the city could fit into that partnership uh, financially or economically to make some of these options uh, a little bit more doable for local restaurants? So those are, I think those are my main updates. And then as, uh, as I think Sarah included in the update, the Beyond Plastic name, the other piece of this is the public facing outreach and education. So that will ramp up once we get past the surveying. Uh, again, trying to talk with our partners, learn as much as possible, be informed before we really come to the table with what those uh, well-informed solutions are. But Beyond Plastic is the name, been working on a logo and just some of those initial outreach pieces so that we are ready when we go public facing. That was a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Any questions on, on what we're doing? There's still a lot to come with this group, but, but we're really excited about it. Sarah and I are two of, the main, two of the main people. We've got a few other city representatives that are joining the table as well. So, How long are you expecting it to take to get the business feedback we have, and analyzed? Yeah, great question. Uh, so initially what I've put together is a list of contact information per restaurant, um, email addresses, addresses since we are doing Google Forms, we want to send them their direct link. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to send that wave of emails, see what kind of response we get. If we're not getting much traction, we're going to change our approach for direct outreach. Uh, we want to make sure that we've got a meaningful sample size. So I think, uh, again, with some strong outreach, I'm not sure what that timeline will be. Um, I'm hoping within a month or two, but again, we'll see based off of the response we get. It's got to be purely a cost, a perceived cost issue on the part of businesses, right? For not for not adopting. I guess you can get feedback, but that's the the perceived barriers that it's cheaper to put out unexpanded or expanded polystyrene versus a container that's biodegradable, right? And so, are we armed with when they come back with a response, figuring out are we just asking them to absorb more cost because they might do more business if they do like, you know, that it'll come on. What, what are there argue, other canned arguments that have been made in other cities that have pursued this and then convinced businesses to, to penalize themselves financially, I guess, because it makes sense. Like if I get five more customers, right. That extra couple cents on a container doesn't mean much. Um, and sort of those arguments that are out there, do they exist or we have to make them? I think there's certainly some arguments for the reusable end of that, but in terms of the disposable, uh, again, something that's more environmentally friendly and sustainable, like a paper or cardboard clamshell, um, the different approaches that we've looked at with that, of course, you know, one of the questions we're asking is to businesses, do you currently have a small fee for a more sustainable container, or would you be willing to participate in something like that? So one way for them to offset it within, you know, the bill that the customer's receiving. Also though, some other options we've looked at, uh, something like a, whether it's a subsidy or a rebate type of program for them to be able to purchase, but also um, not incur that huge influx in cost if there is such. 
Um, but that's honestly, Stratus, that's one of the reasons too, that we're looking at those pricing guides. What we're finding with some of the pricing guides is that the compostable ones are not that much more right, in terms of cost. Impression. However, the issue is you have to buy them in a much larger quantity. And a lot of restaurants just don't have the storage for that. So if they're buying it in you know, a smaller quantity, yeah, they're going to be incurring that higher cost. Um, so, so something like that, maybe it's not necessarily cost, maybe it's more so storage. And is that the partnership that the city can offer? That's awesome. Yeah. So lots, again, I don't have the perfect answer yet. That's really why we're doing the surveying, but hopefully this will yield some good results where we can come up with some solutions that are most impactful. Yeah. It would be interesting too, to see, I don't know, obviously the Iowa city probably can't doesn't want to take this on, but if you get a good network of businesses to ask them to send to like Grubhub or, you know, a lot of these different um, online ordering apps and have them add a button that says, I'd like a compostable container. And then it pops up. This will add X to your bill, you know, to start to get that momentum so that it's in the digital world, it's available to say, would you want to add five cents and get a, a container that's, you know, sustainable? Yeah. So people like I like I could click that, right? That's, and I, I I'm not trying to steer your thing, but no, that's something no. that I think about often is, why don't all these apps that are tech Silicon Valley tech apps, add that one little button, and no. it make them look good, and it would also induce people like me 100 of the time. I would never pass up taking a non and you know polystyrene option. Thinking of I, it from a Iowa perspective, most of the places that these apps are developed already have. It's, you know, plastic is banned. California's in, already got your yeah, idea. I've, I've seen it ha- like change over in some cities in California where it's, you don't even get the option anymore. So that's probably why I think, lo- I think locally <laughs> it'd be a great idea um, to like say, Hey, you know, throw it in there. And I know some restaurants in the area just have already switched over. So it's not even an issue for them, but yeah, I think you have a good point in saying, Hey, add what, you know, 10, 15 cents to my bill to offset that cost. Then that could potentially be, if we look at on a local level, maybe that's a, a, a chomp addition that we could add to our local delivery service. I think that's great though, Stratus. And we've talked about, um, we have that on our list for the additional things that you might get with a delivery, napkins or forks, spoons, straws, whatever, that sometimes you don't even use, you just toss or I'm, you're not sure what to do <laughs> with it. Um, and so we've, we've talked about adding or encouraging that type of dialogue, but I love the idea too, of if we go down this road of, uh, this small fee to help offset some of those costs, that might be a great way to, to represent it. Yeah. I really love the aggregation of, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I am waiting to speak, but <laughs> I, I didn't see on my peripheral. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just moving my hair. Go ahead. You can finish your sentence. I was going to say that that, that idea of, of aggregating is, is huge if you can find a storage place. And it's not inconvenient, especially in the downtown hub to say, if you buy thousands of these things and put them somewhere accessible, that makes that price drop substantially. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I was gonna note too, to what Jane was saying, um, one of the possibilities we've been looking at is collaborating with CHOMP. And one way to get around the storage issue, right, is to coordinate a bulk buy. So CHOMP is already doing this for some of the restaurants that it works with. And if we can collaborate with them to put in the one big buy for all the restaurants participating, then they can get the ones they need and use them without having to identify storage space to, you know, to be able to take part in the 
beneficial pricing of a large purchase like that. So that's another area that is being explored. Um, I was curious, is the, the partnership just looking at restaurants right now or also like local producers? I'm just thinking about the increase in clamshells in grocery stores, even like the co-op, which is, you know, ecologically minded, but the number of, you know, local, we have local lettuce producers, local mushroom producers all coming more and more and more in plastic clamshells. And I'm wondering if this group is going to look at that as well. Yeah, that's a great question. I think eventually this group will evolve towards uh, more initiatives like that. Right now we're looking at uh, the hard hitter of clamshells, especially with local restaurants, with what we've seen the transition during the pandemic. Uh, so that's where we're starting right now. That's where the, the energy is focused, but absolutely. And we're always open to suggestions. I think this group is, is not going to go away with, with uh, the issue of plastics right now. Yeah. We have only been eating taking out this whole last two years from restaurants that use compostable, which means we have like two restaurant options. So I would love if I could go on chomp and say, show me the ones who have compostable retainers. I will pay for it. That's the word I hate. I'll walk out of a restaurant to try to hand you that stuff. I did have a question about the, are there like, how are there a lot of examples out there of communities that have moved to the reusable? Or have you, I mean, you must've found some yeah, to generate the idea. There are some, uh, one of which locally university of Iowa, I was just talking to Beth McKenzie about that in the dining halls. They've got a great example locally of that, uh, not on a municipality scale, but again, looking at a system that is working successfully. Uh, we've also seen it with, uh, farmer's markets. That's a popular model is if you're getting food at the farmer's market, uh, grab your container and, you know, just to reduce waste during a, a very set event. Uh, but in general, yes, there are models out there. I would say the last two years has been difficult to find a uh, model that would provide some modern, you know, examples of where we're at right now in the world and how this could work, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I have one place I can share with you sure. after this. So oh, okay. it, it's it's a little lengthy, but, but yeah, I can. I, Is I it a municipality or? Yes. Okay. So. Right. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> are, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Um, I was going to wonder about recycling. When, you know, whatever comes out of this, is there going to be expanded recycling options for, because I know recycling for some businesses downtown or around the area is difficult mm -hmm. to say the least. Is there going to be any mention of expanding how to recycle these containers, whatever? I know that's getting way what, ahead, but what container are you talking about specifically though? Like what type of material, well, whatever they find, is there going to be some sort of communication to, Hey, here's how you dispose of this. Here's that's what the you goal. should, yeah. you should so be doing. Just like what we looked at with the community member survey of asking, do you have access to composting? Do you have access to recycling? Uh, we're doing the same thing with the business. So looking at what is your current situation uh, on the other, I guess uh, another program that we're working on right now too with table to table as Sarah mentioned is a food waste reduction education campaign the other piece of that though is actually a pilot program in which we're trying out a uh, piece of technology that helps to 
recycle food waste, it reduces it down in volume. So what ends up as the output is a lot less than what goes in. And that is the reason we're looking at this piece of technology is because our compost facility is currently at capacity. So it's, it's a solution that can work as we're working on that site study at the landfill to expand the compost facility. But we're looking at this in particular from a drop-off model. So currently we don't have drop-off locations for compost apart from out at the landfill. The reason being, if we think of organic waste sitting in a bin unmanned, a 90 degree day in the summer in Iowa, we can <laughs> see that there might be some concerns and issues, especially if there's contamination in that bin, then that's a whole level, another level of concern. Uh, so we're starting very small with this uh, very controlled pilot, partnering with community and table to table on this piece of technology to see if this works. Um, so to that end, that was a long explanation of saying, yes, we are looking at options to make, you know, if we recommend paper compostable, how do we make it so they can successfully compost those items? Uh, keep in mind though, a lot of those that are gonna be generated are going to be ending up in households too. That's the other thing is, you know, they're leaving the restaurant, they're going to a household. So a lot of what we're looking at too is the focus of how can the household properly dispose of it um, because they're gonna be the ones ending up with disposing of that material and what they do with it. Uh, and yet, if we look downtown, yes, recycling, um, is available downtown right now. Uh, there are, are some improvements to be made uh, as there are with, with lots of things. I think, you know, we're having those discussions uh, and then drop off locations, of course, you know, businesses can use those as well. They do have to drive the materials themselves, but there's no cost to use those. So a few options, the downtown on-site recycling though, like in the alleyways behind businesses, it's available, but again, um, we're working on some improvements in terms of the outreach signage, et cetera. Yeah, that was kind of my concern is businesses communicating to people, you know, hey, here's your new, here's your new stuff. Here's how you just, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, we can tell the community what to do as much as we want, but I think it's going to be part of the businesses saying, hey, here's how you recycle this new, mm -hmm. this new item that we're. And we can definitely assist with that too. We've yeah. got all the outreach and education that we can offer restaurants and, you know, no cost. We can certainly get that to them. I, I think that would help the restaurant come into this a little bit more because, you know, like you were saying, it's a cost issue, but it's also, are people just going to be dumping, <laughs> you know, dumping stuff on their doorstep that they don't know what to do with. So. Mm -hmm. Jen, I know you didn't emphasize this, but I, um, as a percentage of the waste stream, this is relatively small, but I think this is why this is so important is because it impacts how people think about their consumption, right? If you're seeing only recyclable clamshells, that to me fundamentally changes. We've always, I've always looked at how can you get people to understand and personally start to take action on what you consume and what goes in the trash and things. So that's something that almost everybody does once a week or is going to encounter. And if they're encountering that thing, the messaging accompanying it, I don't know how you get businesses to say that, but to, to champion and support and say, here's why you're seeing this change. And then I just let it be, if it's invisible, um, it's a lost opportunity, but, but so that emphasizing that this is an intentional change and here's why it matters. And here's why we're committed as a business to this. And that that could have a huge impact on like the, the messaging that's so hard to get to people with because yeah. it meets everybody uh, practically in the city. I mean, we don't eat out as much anymore sure. because we, well, maybe we have little kids, so we, we could get home, but also the pandemic. But I think people are eating out and that could be amazing. 
Yeah. And, and Stratus, we actually, I'm glad you mentioned that too. One of the questions we had in the community survey was how many times to eat out a week. And we had, I think less than one, one to three, four, you know, different categories. So arguably we could calculate that quantity of, well, what does that equate to in terms of container waste mm -hmm. and disposable items, it becomes pretty impactful, especially for those that check the box that they're eating out five or more times a week, right. you know, that's five nights. Yeah. It sounds funny to say, but I'll say one of the revelations for me um, coming through that data, because of course we had the quantitative data, but we also had qualitative comments and we used our AmeriCorps team to come through and try to categorize them and flag ones that were really interesting or indicative. Um, and I think it speaks to like how long maybe I've spent in a green mindset that I was like, great, you can bring your own solution identified, right? And uh, a lot of the comments we got ended up being about the convenience of getting takeout. And like, if you're getting takeout, you're doing it for the convenience factor. And part of the convenience is not doing dishes that night. And so having a reusable container actually ended up being a less attractive prospect for a lot of the people who were taking the survey. I um, mean, that was really useful for us then to think about like, how do we build this program in a way that really meets people where they are, you know, and that steered us toward the compostable containers. And also then thinking about what is the kind of education and outreach we need to do with local businesses in terms of compostable containers. I don't know, Jane, if you want to talk any about the uh, compostable plastics and the difficulties we're seeing there and some of the messaging we need to be doing with businesses. Um, but I know a conversation that Jane and I have had quite frequently um, is about businesses that buy compostable plastics that get thrown in the trash anyway, and how that's, of course, frustrating on multiple <laughs> levels, you know, and a lost opportunity for them. Like that's a business that's trying to do the right thing and doesn't have the information to really fulfill what they're aiming to do. So I don't know, Jane, do you want to talk a bit more about that and maybe where we might be going with compostable plastics in Iowa city? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, compostable plastics are somewhat difficult if we think of the processing end. So they're great. It's a great concept. Uh, but if we think about it compared to something like a banana peel, uh, it's very different in terms of how it breaks down at our compost facility. Uh, these compostable plastics are still a very engineered manufactured product. They still have chemical additives to make them into the plastic like material that they look like, uh, which is very problematic at a compost facility. There have been many compost facilities that have uh, said, we're not going to take these anymore because they're causing so many issues here in Iowa city. We are still accepting them uh, within our system. We process our compost for quite a bit longer than a lot of compost facilities do. So trying to give those materials as long as possible, uh, a fighting chance to really break down. What we're seeing though, you know, it's, it's great to have the convenience that we can accept those into the program. What we're seeing more and more though, is that in the finished compost product, there's half a compostable plastic fork hanging out, or there's, you know, shredded, what looks like shredded plastic when really it's just the green compostable bags. Uh, so in terms of their compostability, it, it, it's problematic at our local facility. So what we typically recommend um, 
like I said, we are technically still accepting them, but good old paper cups, paper napkins, paper plates, uh, you can't go wrong. And oftentimes you're saving money with going that route too. So, you know, any sort of paper product that's uncoated, so no plastic coating on it is fine to be composted. And we don't have any issues with that. That breaks down lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a story at the University of Iowa also is that the C stores, you could spend a lot more money getting compostable stuff. And as soon as the student walks out, you've lost control of how they dispose of it. So you've paid a premium for something that goes to the landfill. Sure. But even when it does end up in the right system, I didn't know that the green bags are problematic. That's, that's been my, my jam for so many years. Just like, just taking like the stuff in the green bag and throwing it all away. So you hate that. You should be dumping it out and throwing yeah, we, uh, we're still processing them through the compost system. But now um, you don't want it. We, I won't say that yet. I will, I, I have to be careful with my wording here. Uh, we're still accepting it, but at some point that may change depending on the, uh, how it continues to affect the finished product, the quality of the compost. Yeah. Yep. So if just going down that thought process, if you're not using a bag, how is the collection managed? We have curbside carts. So well, I meant for businesses, for instance, who are using like Compost Ninja and they have bags and it's collected in a normal kind of process. You know what I mean? Well, a paper bag is perfectly okay. fine too. If they have to have a liner, a paper bag is perfectly fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because you know, as a, as a resident, as convenience, like we had the little, the small container that we just got to our yellow yard waste bin. Whoever can't shut the lid on it has to take it out. Um, but the thing is, like, we've just used the green th- the green bag as a way not to have to wash it out as frequently and just dump it out. And so that's going to be a change for me now because I'll stop doing that. But, yeah. Anyway, it's going to have to push harder on the lid so that push someone else has to take Pack it out. It in there. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, I do that, so when, when it's too full, I mean, it's really too full. <laughs> thank you for doing the program yeah thank you any other questions do you have containers in mind that you can like if the restaurants come to you and say hey what are you looking at before i sign up for this do you have like a set list in mind to provide to them or are you still we will okay yes yes we're not to that step yet but we will okay We've learned so much. We've been combing through restaurant supply catalogs. It's very interesting. <laughs> it is. It's some, the miscellaneous duties of our job, right, Sarah? Have you been test running them at your own homes then? <laughs> we haven't yet, but honestly, I, I would not be surprised if that happens. Okay. Great bedtime reading. Yeah. <laughs> so a big thanks to Jane for joining us today and bringing us up to speed on this. Um, if you're interested after she does the restaurant outreach, certainly we can um, invite her back to hear more. One of the reasons we wanted to bring her in today is, you know, one of our action items uh, looks at a green pro- procurement program. And uh, we actually had the marketing firm that we were working with last year do some initial outreach to businesses about uh, their appetite for pro- participating in something like that. And in so many words, we're told to buzz off more often than not. Um, And that's because, you know, businesses have had a tough couple of years, as Jane has noted. And like for many of them, you know, if they're thinking about just staying afloat, these things can be a lower priority. 
But one of the things I think that we really learned from those conversations and from the work Jane has been doing is that a program where we try to promote green purchases across the board is probably not going to be as successful as something like this that's very focused and it involves some extended conversations. So we brought Jane in to sort of hold this program up as a potential model for future procurement pro uh, programs that we might pursue. It all rests on you, Jane, no pressure. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing really a wealth of knowledge and ideas. And you can tell there's a lot of interested folks here, maybe some more test, test candidates for. <laughs> yeah, for well, and, and like I said too, this group is continuing to evolve. Uh, we are open to input and ideas for solutions because we don't have the perfect set of answers yet. That's why we're, we're learning more right now. Yeah. Thank you for taking time give us such a great overview and discussion. I feel like we should clap. <laughs> I, just, I have one last thought on this. You said you were developing a logo for the plastic. Shouldn't it be city branding? Like is, if it's a city initiative, does it need its own distinct look and feel, wouldn't it be under the umbrella of the efforts of the city? It will. Yeah. So we'll use the Beyond Plastic logo. It's really just to create a brand and a recognition for the efforts that this program is working on. Uh, but yes, it is. It is absolutely under the city of Iowa City and we'll have the city of Iowa City logo there too. If the city helps with a group buy, should we put Goldie on the, with the Containers. I'll leave, I'll leave that up to Sarah. <laughs> we are actually looking at a soft launch of Goldie um, this month and next, actually. We're looking to create some coloring sheets for upcoming public events as a way to start generating interest. So I think Goldie lives. I, was gonna, I think having the mascot in, in this kind of like the educational outreach necessary for this, it would be a great use of Goldie. <clears throat> Thank you. That was a really good discussion. We had on, 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 on garbage, but. <laughs> but a quality discussion on garbage, on waste. Um, all right. It's better well, than a garbage discussion on so many other things. <laughs> um, so we will move on to item eight, which is just a recap of actionable items for the commission, working groups, and staff. All right, I have a few noted. Um, one, I am gonna send you that press release about the Energy Blitz volunteer signup. Um, and I'm giving you a call to action to share it with your networks and friends tomorrow, if you could. Um, I'm gonna add the annual report to the May packet so that you are able to take a glance at that again and we can think about if that would serve or if we want something a little more catered for outreach to CBOs. Um, I will meet with the solar prioritization working group to set a date for that group to meet and begin their work. And then one thing, um, we've had a request from our cable staff. There's, there's 
not a good place to put this in the meeting, but the setup that we've been having on the floor actually takes up quite a bit of staff time and effort to get everything uh, set up this way. And we're actually the only commission that meets with this configuration. They wanted um, me to ask if we would be open to moving back up to the city council seat. So having you seated up here, I know that um, there was some discussion in the past about not wanting to be perceived as hovering over the public. Um, that may not be an issue. <laughs> are, there, are there any objections to moving your seating up here to cut down on the staff time for this meeting? Sounds like a fair enough request. And we can always note that while we're sitting up higher, we do not <laughs> think of ourselves there. So, How are the seats, Jane? Are they comfortable? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for that. That's very helpful for us. Um, is there anything else that should be on this list that I've overlooked? All right. Thanks, everyone. Do we have a motion to adjourn? I have a motion to adjourn. <laughs> Krieger, and is there a second? Uh, I second that. Stratus. Stratus. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you, everyone. We'll see you in May.